Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of Talk It Off, the podcast with an identity crisis. I am your host, Del Preston, urging you to be skeptical, not paranoid, and to understand the difference. Here we talk about science, technology, politics, art, psychology, education, and even the paranormal and unexplained. On today's show, we talk about Apollo 13, education news, fortune cookies, the lottery, free soap, and the Mandela effect. But right now, it's time for headlines. First on headlines, travel ban backlash. Colleges and universities in the U.S. could see a sharp decline in enrollment of international students if its initial figures from a survey are an early indicator of what's to come. Nearly 40% of responding U.S. institutions are reporting a drop in international student applications, particularly from students in the Middle East, according to initial findings from a survey of 250 schools. Declines are also reported for students from China and India at both the undergraduate and graduate levels. Those figures are a reversal of about a decade of steady increase in applications from international students, which pushed the number of international students studying in the U.S. over 1 million last year. Of those 1 million international students in the U.S. for higher education, nearly 80% are from the Middle East, and they brought about $36 billion to the U.S. economy in 2015. Those figures are straight from the U.S. Department of Commerce. Higher education policy experts warn that there would certainly be economic impact if the enrollments start to decline. Next on headlines, hey man, can I bum a soap? Science students in South Mississippi have created a vending machine to provide free hygiene products to homeless. Robotics students at Gulfport High School created the machine for a national contest. Their teacher, Clinton Brawley, challenged them to build a device that meets a community need by using STEAM research. That's an acronym for Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Mathematics. The robotics class decided to create something specifically for the 143 homeless students in Gulfport School District. The machine dispenses toothbrushes, toothpaste, shaving cream, disposable razors, bars of soap, and feminine hygiene products. Next on headlines, budget cuts keep you safe, sick, poor, and stupid. The proposed budget plan from the Trump White House is in. Cuts are handed down to all but a handful of government-funded organizations, which include Defense, Homeland Security, and Veterans Affairs. The defense budget will get a 10% increase, Homeland Security receives a 7% increase, while Veterans Affairs increase by 6%. The increases are made possible by making major cuts to Agricultural, the State Department, the Environmental Protection Agency, Education, Health and Human Services, Transportation, Labor, Commerce, the Small Business Administration, and NASA. Health and Human Services take a 16% cut, Education takes a 14% cut. Agriculture and labor both take a 21% cut. The State Department has the second biggest cut with 29% and the biggest cut goes to the Environmental Protection Agency with 31%. 
The blueprint was designed to send a message to our allies and our potential adversaries that this is a strong power administration. Office of Management and Budget Director Mick Mulvaney explained on Wednesday as he previewed the document in a briefing with reporters. The White House blueprint does not address major safety net programs such as Social Security and Medicare, which the President has promised to protect. In addition, funding for the National Institutes of Health would fall by 18%, or $5.8 billion. And that cut involves a major reorganization of the NIH's institutes and centers, including closing some of those centers. And with all those cuts, we're going to hack and slash our way over to the next segment. It's time for the Fun Fact of the Day. Today on Fun Fact, Cookie Fortune. Did 110 people win the same lottery one day in 2005? Yes. But how? The odds are astronomical for even a single person to win. The multi-state Mega Millions lotto, for example, has a 1 in 176 million chance of hitting. For two people to win the same lottery isn't unheard of, but even less likely. So what about 110 people? You might be thinking it's impossible, but it did happen. So how did 110 lucky individuals all win the same lottery? Before I explain how it happened, allow me to put the odds in a frame of reference for you. Here's a few examples of things that are more likely to happen to you than winning the lottery. Being struck by lightning. Compared to the lottery, it's practically stubbing your toe at 1 in 12,000. Frighteningly even more common, being wrongfully convicted of a crime. The odds of that happening to you is a butt-puckering 1 in 3,700. There's dying in a plane crash, that's 1 in 11 million. Becoming the President of the United States at 1 in 10 million. Being burned to death by hot tap water happens to 1 in 5 million people. You are even more likely to be killed by a left-handed person misusing objects intended for right-handed people at 1 in 7 million. Yes, that is a real statistic. Get it together, Southpaws. For this lotto, those odds were more than triple a lightning strike. 1 in 3 million. If the odds were so high, why did 110 people manage to pick the same winning numbers? Was it fraud? No, no fraud was involved. It was all thanks to the simple fortune cookies that are commonly given out at American Chinese restaurants. When the results began coming in from the 2005 March 30th lotto drawing, lottery officials believed a massive fraud was underway. While there had been only one winner, of the 13.8 million jackpot, a record 110 players were claiming the runner-up prizes of either 100,000 or 500,000, depending on if they paid a dollar extra for the bonus power play ball. After some investigation, the lotto officials found no fraud involved and paid the claimants. They found that the winners had played the numbers 22, 28, 32, 33, and 39 that they had recently received from a fortune cookie made by Wonton Food Incorporated. The company produces 4 million cookies a day branded under different brands. That is how those lucky numbers ended up in so many people's minds. Not everyone will play numbers suggested to them, but a great many do. After an episode of Lost aired winning numbers on their show, 
thousands of people attempted to play those same numbers. They lost. Additional fun facts about fortune cookies. Fortune cookies are not actually of Chinese origin. They were reinvented by a Japanese businessman in San Francisco sometime in the early 1900s. Illustrations from Japan during the 1800s depict thin wafers being grilled over coals. When the wafers were halfway through the cooking process, a fortune was placed inside of them and folded over. They were then sold by street vendors to hungry patrons who walked by. The Japanese businessman rediscovered the cookie and began serving them in his restaurant with tea. Despite being served in Chinese restaurants throughout America, fortune cookies are not served in China. In fact, most of the world's fortune cookies are produced and consumed in the United States. But for at least one day, they gave some solid advice on lucky numbers. Next up on Talk It Off, a segment called Hindsight where we look back at some of history's biggest moments. Today on Hindsight, Apollo 13. In the flick of a switch, the Apollo 13 spacecraft transformed from a moon-bound landing unit to a crippled death trap. While the spaceflight stands today as a demonstration of NASA's innovation saving lives on the fly, Apollo 13 vividly illustrated the dangers of people working in space. First-time flyer Jack Swigert, 38, was initially the backup command module pilot. He joined the crew officially just 48 hours before the launch on April 11, 1970, after prime crew member Ken Mattingly was unwittingly exposed to the German measles. Since Mattingly had no immunity, NASA doctors yanked him from the mission over Commander Jim Lovell's protest. Lovell, 42, was the world's most traveled astronaut. He had three missions and 572 spaceflight hours of experience. Lovell participated in Apollo 8, the first mission to circle the moon, and flew two Gemini missions, including a 14-day endurance run. Rounding out the crew was Fred Hayes, 36, who previously was a backup crew member on Apollo 8 and 11. The entire crew had test flight experience before they became astronauts, meaning they were used to dealing with in-flight problems. That experience would come in handy on Apollo 13. The Apollo spacecraft was made up of two independent spacecrafts joined by a tunnel, orbiter Odyssey and lander Aquarius. The crew lived in Odyssey on the journey to the moon. On the evening of April 13th, when the crew was 200,000 miles from Earth and closing in on the moon, mission controller Cy Liebergott saw a low-pressure warning signal on a hydrogen tank in the Odyssey. The signal could have shown a problem, or could have indicated the hydrogen just needed to be resettled by heating and fanning the gases inside the tank. That procedure was called a cryostir, and was supposed to stop the supercold gas from settling into layers. Swigert flipped the switch for the routine procedure. A moment later, the entire spacecraft shuddered around and startled the crew. Alarm lights lit up in the Odyssey and in mission control as oxygen pressure fell and power disappeared. The crew notified mission control, with Swigert famously uttering, Houston, we've had a problem. Much later, a NASA Accident Investigation Board determined wires were exposed in the oxygen tank through a combination of manufacturing and testing errors before flight. 
The fateful night, a spark from an exposed wire in an oxygen tank caused the fire, ripping apart one oxygen tank and damaging another inside the spacecraft. Since oxygen-fed Odyssey's fuel cells, power was reduced as well. The spacecraft's attitude and control thrusters, sensing the venting oxygen, tried to stabilize the spacecraft through firing small jets. The system wasn't very successful given several of the jets were slammed shut by the explosion. Luckily for Apollo 13, the damaged Odyssey had a healthy backup, Aquarius, which wasn't supposed to be turned on until the crew was close to landing on the moon. It didn't have a heat shield to survive the trip back to Earth, but it could keep the crew alive long enough to get there. Then the astronauts could switch to Odyssey for the rest of the trip home. Hayes and Lovell frantically worked to boot Aquarius up in less time than designed, while Swigert remained in Odyssey to shut down its systems to keep power for splashdown. The crew now had to balance the challenge of getting home with the challenge of preserving power on Aquarius. After they performed a crucial burn to point the spacecraft back towards Earth, the crew powered down every non-essential system in the spacecraft. Without a source of heat, Cabin temperatures quickly dropped down to close to freezing. Some food became inedible. The crew also rationed water to make sure Aquarius, operating for longer than it was designed, would have enough liquid to cool down its hardware. On Earth, flight director Gene Kranz pulled his shift of controllers off a regular rotation to focus on managing consumables like water and power. Other mission control teams helped the crew with its daily activities. Spacecraft manufacturers worked around the clock to support NASA and the crew. It was a long few days back home. The entire crew lost weight and Hayes developed a kidney infection. In the hours before splashdown, the now exhausted crew powered up Odyssey. Then they prepared for splashdown, not knowing if the explosion had damaged the heat shield. Lovell, Hayes, and Swigert did return safely to the Pacific Ocean on April 17th. The spacecraft design was reconfigured with better wires and an extra tank, and subsequent missions did not face the same problem. Although Apollo 13's design problems left a mark on NASA's reputation, today it also stands as a shining example of how NASA can solve life-threatening problems in space. And that wraps up this segment of Hindsight, where we take a look back at history's biggest moments. Next on Talk It Off, Sixth Sense. This episode's Sixth Sense topic is the Mandela Effect. The Mandela Effect is a collective misremembering of a fact or event. The term Mandela Effect was coined by self-described paranormal consultant Fiona Broom, who has written on her website that she first became aware of the phenomenon after discovering that she shared a particular false memory. This memory was that of South African human rights activist and President Nelson Mandela died in prison during the 1980s. He had been imprisoned under four counts of sabotage and conspiracy to violently overthrow the government. History records Nelson Mandela died December 5, 2013 at the age of 95 after a long battle with a recurring lung infection. It also records that he was freed from prison in November of 1989. However, thousands of people do remember him dying during his prison sentence. 
The Mandela Effect quickly gained recognition in internet forums and videos. Once the dialogue had been started, this group of people began noticing that this was not the only memory they shared in contrast with history. No single example of the Mandela Effect has generated more online buzz than that of the children's book and animated TV series, The Berenstein Bears. Quite a few people who grew up with the series, myself included, remember the title being The Berenstein Bears, with the name ending in E-I-N. The correct spelling ends with A-I-N, Berenstain Bears. Microsoft Word will argue that neither are of acceptable spelling. Go figure. The list of alternative memories between an ever-growing population of people continues to expand, and there is bound to be something within it that piques your interest. Here are a few more examples that might hit home. Another historical event, the protests in China at Tiananmen Square in 1989. Many people remember that during the protest, a small boy stood in front of a row of tanks as they advanced forward through the square, and that this boy was killed as a result, shocking the world. Most individuals with this specific memory even recall him being referred to as Tank Boy. Historical records of the Tiananmen Square protest recall it was an unknown man who blocked the path, not a child, and that the tank stopped, resulting in no one being injured. Many remember the Monopoly man wearing a monocle over one eye. You can find him remembered in this way in various illustrations and movies. If you search him online or dig the game out of your closet, you will find him without a monocle. Some of you may remember Curious George having a tail and even using it to swing from tree to tree. Curious George, however, does not have a tail. How do you remember the infamous line from Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back? In the scene where Luke loses his hand, is it Luke, I am your father? Well, you are wrong. Apparently, we have misremembered that one as an entire race because the line is, no, I am your father. Also, if you remember C-3PO being all gold, that is also wrong. It seems he has always had one silver leg. Did Mr. Rogers tell you it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood? Well, it must have been in private because the line from the intro of every show is, it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. And the list goes on. Some of the examples are easy to attribute to a fading memory or misremembering. Others are difficult to accept. I am a skeptic of all things first and foremost. I consider all things to be explainable by the scientific process. But there are moments where this Mandela effect challenges me and frankly creeps me out. Given the number of people affected and the diversity of those people, this is at the very least a psychological phenomenon. These are false memories that many people remember incorrectly in the exact same way as one another independently. By independently, I mean they remember it this way without it being suggested to them first as an option. These people do not know one another and have all live different lives, remembering the same events incorrectly in the exact same way. And that's creepy. So what gives, right? What the hell is going on? Just for fun, I want to share some ideas conspiracy theorists have offered as an explanation. We all live in a matrix. 
This one covers just about every phenomenon known to man, if you wanted to. Many people believe that we live in a computer simulation and are a form of artificial intelligence. The errors in our memories are simply glitches in the system in which we exist. Another popular explanation is that tests conducted in the Large Particle Collider by CERN have ripped open the fabric of space-time and that we are all shifting in between realities as a result. Less fanatical explanations based on similar science suggest that we live in a multiverse and these memories are products of our being connected to alternate versions of ourselves quantumly. A sort of leakage of information from one universe to another. This all falls under the we can neither prove or disprove category and therefore is technically philosophy and speculation. And now, for the definitive science-based proven explanation behind the Mandela Effect. The all-encompassing, one-size-fits-all explanation is... Uh, wait. There isn't one. Don't get me wrong, psychologists as well as scientists of the brain and mind have offered many actual known conditions that contribute to the phenomenon. But the list is a mile long, and it evokes almost every known memory-related anomaly and condition we know of. In short, it seems that they all play a small part in forming these false memories. The Mandela Effect is the tip of the iceberg in understanding just how differently we all experience life and remember it. We do know that our brains fabricate memories and even change them based on emotional experiences and trauma. We know our memories are bad at remembering detail and are frighteningly open to change. And while we all live individual lives and have unique experiences, our brains all share much of the same reasoning processes and memory fabrication. As individual as you are, you are still a slave to your brain and how it works. This might not be as exciting as the matrix or a multiverse or a hole in the fabric of space-time, but it is much more likely we very well could live in a multiverse. We cannot prove or disprove that, but even if this were the case, it doesn't serve as a better explanation to the Mandela effect. Or does it? Well, on that note, we wrap up this edition of Sixth Sense as well as the end of this episode of Talk It Off. I have been your host, Del Preston. I hope you have enjoyed the information contained in this episode, and if you wish to support Talk It Off, please subscribe to it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Visit us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Give us a like, give us a share. If you have questions about the material on the show, drop us a line at talkitoff at yahoo.com. And we will see you next time. All music contained in this podcast comes to you courtesy of bensound.com and Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech, both licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. <laughs>